God, give me clear words, right? Clarity to speak. Make our hearts vulnerable to receive your truth. Praise in Jesus' name. So, if I were to mention three things to you, what do these all have in common? Indecision in the workplace. Like, is this the job I should be in? You get to a place in relationships where there's dissatisfaction and buying a really fast car. Typically, when we think of all those three things going together is midlife crisis. <laughs> and, and midlife crisis is known as that because, because there's a lot of people that hit that, right? There's, they get to a place where maybe they're, they're jaded because the, the hope they once felt, maybe they, they set out, they got a certain job, they entered the field of medicine right? because they wanted to cure cancer, or they... You know, started doing, they, they started working with a nonprofit because they wanted to see the world, you know, world peace, right? They want to see that actualized. And so they entered a field, and all of a sudden they get to a certain point in their life and they realize, wow, it seems like this huge hope, this dream, this passion I had, maybe it didn't actualize like I hoped it would. Well, there's, there's something that, is called the quarter-life crisis <laughs> that, that is now ravaging the nations. And it's for those who are around the age of 30 who are having the same symptoms of those who are uh, in the midlife crisis. And, and literally, this is, this is the four things it mentioned. It says insecurities, disappointments, loneliness, depression, Paralyzed by indecision and nostalgic about high school, you know, wearing your letterman's jacket still. <laughs> you're constantly comparing yourself with others. You feel like your life isn't turning out all that you expected, and you're, you haven't fulfilled the dreams of everything by the age of 25. You know how it is. And, and we can laugh about that, but the, the serious thing is... is the word that comes at the end of midlife or quarter life is crisis. And there's this real sense of crisis because you feel lost. Right? Well, I think that can happen in the church also where, where maybe you heard and responded to the message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save people who were far from God and bring them close into relationship with God. Literally what it says in, in John 10, 10 is, is Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life and life to the fullest. And at one point, you, you committed to following Jesus and you found life more full than you've ever found it before. But as you, as you started walking, and maybe you joined a church, maybe part of this church, and all of a sudden you, it kind of becomes... A routine like a lot of other things in your life, and, and maybe you're five years, ten years, fifteen years into this, and, and you get a little jaded. There's this crisis, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to we're going to ask the Spirit to lead us back to that life that's full, um, the life that He intends for us. 
in Jeremiah 6.16, there's this beautiful little verse that says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. So we stand at this crossroads, and, and so if you're here this morning, and there's this crossroads for your life, like it talks about in Jeremiah 6.16, and, and you realize if you keep going in the direction your life is going, that you're going to experience possibly more, more burnout, more indecision, loneliness, dissatisfaction. But, but there's also a promise in the scripture that it's true, and it's being offered to you even today to walk in the good way, where you can find rest for your soul. And that's, that's what we're going to go into this morning. So we're going to jump back into Acts 118. <clears throat> Acts 118 is a place that we have planted a lot in the last year. And the reason is, is because in Acts 118, we see Jesus' promise of power for the church. And, sorry, 1-8, thank you, 1-8, not 118. We've been there a lot. <laughs> Acts 1-8, um, sometimes I have like eight things going on in my mind and I'm trying to find the best route to go. So, 1-8. Welcome, Jonan. There's seats in front. <clears throat> so, why do we keep going back to Acts? The reason why we keep going back to Acts is the same reason why you follow a recipe over and over again. Right? If you find a recipe that you like and it's delicious, you want to keep making it like that, okay? Because it works. Right? You don't be like, maybe just a little more baking soda. I know, that's very disgusting, right? And so when we look at Acts 1-8, we find a church that, that has just come through a massive crisis, okay? Like midlife crisis or core life crisis. We have these men who, who though they were fearful and though they were, were ordinary people, they, they had, Jesus had found them and they started following him. And they, they found a life that was extraordinary. Right? And then this Jesus that they were following dies on a cross, publicly shamed. Talk about crisis. And so they go into hiding. Okay? And then, and then this Jesus who they put their hope in rises from the dead. He's like, I told you guys about this. I needed to do this. Right? So that when I read, I could draw all men to myself. Right? I could take your guilt, take your shame. I could restore your relationship with God. But then next crisis is Jesus says, I'm leaving. They're like, no, we went through this. You stay. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm leaving. But I'm, I'm going to leave with you the Holy Spirit, the Counselor. And that's when we get into Acts 1.8. He says, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, there's, there's three things here that, that help us as we, as the church came through this crisis of, of who will lead us. What's the plan? Where will we go? So, so you get leadership here that, that as you wait, 
God will send the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus had already prepared them. He talked to them about the Holy Spirit. In the last couple sermons, we, we went through this. The Holy Spirit was going to come as a leader. So this is the first point. They have leadership. They're not lacking in leadership. And, and this is crazy. Because you guys might be like, yeah, the Holy Spirit's a leader. Jesus actually says, it's better that I send the Holy Spirit to you and you're led by the Holy Spirit than if I stay. Why? Well, this is why. He says, he will remind the people of the words Jesus spoke. So wherever people who name the name of Jesus are, whether they're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or Bremerton, Washington, (laughs) the Holy Spirit will be bringing to heart and mind the words Jesus spoke. Okay? That will be the message the Holy Spirit is giving over and over and over again, spreading throughout the world. There will be a conviction of sin. We go, why do I feel distant from God? And the Holy Spirit will bring to mind, well, there's, there's factors of separation between you and God. But it says, he will also convict the world of righteousness, showing the world the righteous way to walk, the righteous way to live, how to live in right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is going to be doing that. And the last is convicting the world of judgment. What this means is he'll be reminding the world that we live in a temporary place, a temporary time, both because our lives are temporary, the lives of those around us, and even the clock of this world is temporary. There's going to be a time when we stand before the judgment seat of God, and by the grace of God, his spirit, he will be reminding us that our lives are like a mist that appear and then vanish. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit's work. Right, to stir up our hearts. Okay? It's a big deal. We need hearts that are moved. I don't know if you guys are ever in this position. I've been in this position a lot lately where I, I go, God, you see what's going on in here. And I, I want to be moved. I realize I used to weep over, over sin in my own life or, or things that I were doing that maybe meanness or unkindness or, or those things like, that used to affect me. And I don't see it affecting me. By your mercy, give me a heart that loves righteousness. Okay? And, that, and the Holy Spirit is the one that responds and leads us in the way. So we have leadership. We have purpose. This is really important. He says, you will be my witnesses. So we're, we are being commissioned. Literally, we have business to do. Okay, so if, if you as a Christian are like, what do I do? Well, well, it was given to us. I'm going to be giving you the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to have business to do, which means you are going to be people that speak about Jesus. So if you're not someone who speaks about Jesus, you're not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you will be my witnesses. Where? This is the direction. The direction is where we go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very end of the earth. And literally, that's what happened. Immediately after, after this promise was given, they take it to heart and they pray together. The Holy Spirit comes on and they go out to Jerusalem and they just start speaking. They're witnessing. The word witness, and this is interesting, the word witness literally is martyr there. <laughs> they go out and they start just giving their lives in Jerusalem. And then, the, and then they thought, this is great. We're going to 
build an organization, and we're just going to stay here, right? Because, because 3,000 people came to know Jesus, and so they went from, like, this motley crew of this many people, and all of a sudden, 3,000 people were added. That's a lot. And so they're like, we just got to figure this out. And they stayed. And so what you find is Acts 8, that that martyred it, right? People literally, they start getting persecuted, and guess where they go? Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit is like, I know you like one another, but you can't just stay, because my direction that I have for you is going. I mean, you're going to be a, a people sent, constantly going. And so, so we as a church... Know what? As we know, leadership. Are you sensitive to leading the Holy Spirit? Are we have purpose for people that speak about Jesus. Why do we speak about him? Not because, oh, I heard something, but because, because the Holy Spirit himself has convicted you with the fact that the image that came to mind earlier was like, that we didn't realize we were standing on the tracks, and the wrath of God was coming towards us, like that big train, because we didn't realize that, that we just lived in opposition to him, against him, and that God's a holy God, right? And that the, whole, and that the Holy Spirit brings to mind, Jesus saved you. He's like, boom, hit you off the track. And he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> and, and so you can have a relationship with God. And so... So as you've been drawn to that relationship and you realize that there is life to the fullness in him, you, you speak. So there's, there's purpose, you're a witness. And then your direction is to go, 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 go. So the Holy Spirit is always leading his church in this one direction, the mission of God. So what we learn from this is that there are things that we as a people can hold our, can clench our fists around and not let go of. No matter what comes, no matter, no matter what happens in our lives, that there are things we can know for certain that God's not changing his mind about. Wherever you are, that God is leading in this direction. Some of these questions that might come to mind is, does this person, whoever it is in your mind, does this person really need Jesus? The Holy Spirit can be bringing to mind the words of Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Does it matter how I treat people? Does it matter how I treat my neighbor, my family? Does it matter how I treat the poor? Absolutely. Those are things that the Holy Spirit is, is reminding us where Jesus says the whole law, everything hangs on these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. <laughs> we can close our hands on it. If I'm loving God and loving my neighbor, it's good. The Holy Spirit's inspiring that, right? motivating that. Does it matter if I'm a, a part of the church? Yeah, because Jesus is saying, this is my bride. Right? Using people together, it matters. It matters that we gather in fellowship together. Those things you can close your hand on. Even when it's challenging, we learn how to do that. We, we ask for God's leadership in that. Does God really care about the world? Absolutely. 
Because God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for the world and to draw that world back into relationship with himself. So, close your hands around these things and don't let them go. And if this is the mission of God, is this the mission of our church? Is this, is, is this our mission? And that's really important. It's important that we ask these questions often. There's a, a children's book that came to mind as I was preparing for this sermon called um, Don't Forget the Bacon. And it's about this little boy who has a dog, and he's walking the dog to the store, and his mom tells him, uh, she gives him a list of things to buy at the store. And the list is this, six farm eggs, a cake for tea, a pound of pears, and don't forget the bacon. Okay, and so as he goes, he sees all these things along the way that he's trying to remember. He's trying to be diligent, trying to be a good little boy. And remember all these things, and he starts seeing things along the way and just kind of associating them with this little rhyme he has. And so it ends up becoming six clothes, pegs, a rake of leaves, a pile of chairs, and don't forget the bacon. <laughs> and that's, that's so often what it can be like for, for us, right? Even as a church, what do we do? How do we be a church? Is that we, as we're going, we just start like associating other things, right, with with the word, with what we can close our hands around, right? Don't forget the bacon, right? <laughs> so are we closing hands around these things? Signs that we have missed the meaning of the mission are things like we are a staying church and not a going church. That we don't commit to one another. Right? We allow ourselves to come, but not ever make those connections with one another that we're like, man, I, when you say, I pray for you, you actually do. Right? We, we commit to one another to walk with each other, to labor with one another, to love each other right? through sickness and in health, that this church can do that. We forgot the mission if we conform more to the world than are being transformed in the image of God. We care more what other people think than what God thinks. We only listen to some of the words of Jesus, only the ones that make us feel comfortable. We don't hurt when we see others hurt. We don't care about the poor, and we don't care if people know Jesus. But there are signs that we have lost the mission, that we forgot about, that, that where the Holy Spirit is saying, I am constantly pushing you further and further to bring the message freedom in Jesus to the furthest corners of the world. So, are we a people that are constantly asking, lead me, God, guide me, show me the way, but we haven't been faithful with where he's already led? Does that make sense? As a refuge church, there's a couple examples I wanted to give that reason, uh, things we do to to keep the mission of God crisp and clear for us. Um, one of those things is community groups. The community groups all um, gather on what we call four essentials. And the first of those is that we're gospel-centered communities, that we're communities that talk about Jesus, that we know how to speak with one another about Jesus. One of the hardest things is, is knowing how to share that with one another. Um, the second is that we're relational communities, that we're people that are getting to know one another, committing to one another, to fellowship, to friendship. And we have to commit to that because it's hard, right? It's not always easy. It's, what's easy is being shallow. What's hard is going deep. And we 
want to do that as a community group. The third is that we are missional community groups. It means that each community group is not a staying group, but it's a going group. And that is, that is very challenging. What does it look like to be a, a going group? Right? That, that we are giving of our time together to serve in the city in some way. Then the last is we're a sending group. Um, and what this means is, is that we are groups that as people are coming to know freedom in Jesus, and, and people are being added to our number, like we see in Acts, that our groups are multiplying into different parts of the city, into the county, into the world. Right? We are going. And there is nothing I have experienced in leadership that is more painful than this. Okay? Our, our com- uh, community group that I've, I've been a part of leading, we have, we have multiplied three times now. And every time, it is super painful. It sounds awesome, because you're like, this is what I, I tell our group every time. And I feel like, hey, chicken your like, yeah, I, know, I remember that. <laughs> uh, because we always say, John 3.16, because God so loved the world, he sent. He sent his son. It's not because God so loved the world, he just stayed. Right? What, what would have changed in the gospel story if because God so loved the world, he stayed? Everything. So what's going to change in this community if because you so love your group, you stay? Nothing will happen in this community. But if because you so love God and you so love your neighbor that we're figuring out how to go, then that's when the ripples start spreading. Right? And we're a part of the mission of God. We're not just a part of my mission or your mission or our own little subjective mission. Okay, Because then we get lost in that. But I share this with you saying it is hard. Just as it was hard for God to send his own son. So we're going to be a part of the mission of God. Another thing is, is we have mission going on all throughout the week here. Right? There was once was a time when we were much smaller as a church. And and literally everyone who was a part of the church was in some ways serving with the, the mission we have to youth throughout the week. Right? Every Friday, you'd, you'd find the majority, if not all, of those who were a part of the church serving on a Friday night. That would be crazy. <laughs> we all did that, right? That'd be wild. That'd be amazing. But we are, we are throughout the week going into the city and spreading the hope of Christ to youth. And so that's a way that you also can be on board with it. How can you be a part of the mission of God? A couple of those ways I've already mentioned. But one is figuring out as an individual how you fit into that as a church. So there's, there's the mission of God. We fit into that as a church. But then, then you, we, we all have these unique calls upon our life also. Unique places we fit. Last week, my, my dad spoke about gifts. You are gifted. You are, in, in Ephesians 2, 10, it says, you are God's masterpiece. Like he's painting you into a beautiful picture. You are God's masterpiece. He's prepared good works for you to do. Right? So, so what's that unique call upon your life? If you turn with me to Acts 9, we see the story of Paul, and here's one example among many of people who have been called. Acts 
Now, Paul is someone who is attacking the church at this time. Starting verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, who will later become Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay, and we're just going to end there. It's, it's long, but, but what I want you to, to get here is, <laughs> is God is calling his people on his mission, but he calls us in unique ways, and we have unique roles. And because they are unique, what we don't assume is that you need to be riding a horse traveling to Damascus, and all of a sudden a light from heaven strikes you, right? So we're not all called in the same way. Do you get that? Because, so we don't have like, okay, it is Allison's turn to go to Damascus, right? Where is her horse? So, so how, how has God called you, and what role do you play in that mission? Because, because Paul's role in that mission was to eventually be the word of the word of God was going to be brought through him to the Gentiles. And there's this interesting argument that goes on in the church then, because Paul's preaching to the Gentiles, Peter's preaching to the Hebrews, and and so in Corinthians you have this Paul has to write and he goes, Hey, don't say I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paulus. He goes, We're all about the same thing, but we've been given unique gifts and unique roles in that mission. Does that make sense? So how do we how do we understand that? How do we identify that? I was speaking with a friend this week here who is getting married soon, and and he was just sharing me with me a dream that God had given him to be a pastor one day. And he said, Daniel, eight months ago, I thought I thought it all just crumbled around me. And he goes, you know, the girl I was engaged to, he goes, he goes, if we weren't engaged, we probably would have broken up. Things were really hard. And he just went into this story about how challenging it was. And he goes, and all I did, he said, all I could do at that moment was just trust God because I had nothing else to hold on to. Like, there wasn't anything affirming that Other than there were people speaking truth and there was affirming that. But he goes, like, what was going on in here, all I could do, all I could do was trust. <coughs> And that dream that God had given him is actually being actualized as he just got hired to be a unique pastor in the church, which is really neat. And, and with that dream he was given, with the dream you see Paul, Paul's given, the word I want to give to you guys is, what does it look like to be a dreamer with God? What dreams is God giving you to be a part of the mission of God? In Acts 2.16, it talks about in, in these days, your young men will have visions, your young women will dream dreams, right? So it's time about, like, they will, they will have these exciting visions of what God's going to be doing. And in Ephesians 2.10, like I talked about, that you're a masterpiece, that God has destined good works for you. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, like we talked about last week, there are gifts for you. So what does it look like for you to begin dreaming with what God has given you, the gifts God has given you, to be a part of, of the mission of God? There's three things I want to leave with you about how you can walk out the dream God has given you towards the mission God has given to his church. I don't know. I wish I could sit down with every single one of you guys and just say, what dream do you have? What, what dream has God given you to be a part of his mission? Because if you don't have one, get on your knees and pray. God, what dream are you giving me? Because God has made his people to be dreamers. <laughs> to dream big dreams. Not maybe even things you think you're capable of right now, but by walking with the Holy Spirit, you can do those things. That, that you realize along the way, that, that all along as you walk, and you walk, and you walk, and the Holy Spirit's confirming those, that you realize, this is crazy! It's like he's been preparing these things way in advance for me to walk in. But have you stopped dreaming? So, Three things. How to walk in that dream. The first is to obey the word. When you obey the word, God is, God is positioning you in the place of seeing dreams be fulfilled. In 1 John 2, says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man that says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to know, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So we cannot be disobedient people who disregard the word and expect to dream with God. Okay? So if, you are, if you're like, this guardian is like, whatever, and you're like, give me a dream, and your dream will probably be misaligned. But are you opening this book? Are you, are you obeying the commands of God? Are you living with him? And are you, is that watering your dream? It just came to mind, Psalm 1 has this beautiful example of the righteous man who plants himself by the word of God and flourishes, it says, in season. Right? So if you plant yourself here, you will grow and thrive. The second is walk by the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says, So I say, live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And we're just going to skip down to verse 22, and it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. So walk by the Spirit. Are you, are you hand-in-hand with Him? And, and what I... As I thought of this, I, I, an example I thought was, um, we talk about the glory of God. And the easy way to think of glory is if you were to say, 
Oh, there's Daniel in all his glory. I don't know exactly what you'd be thinking. <laughs> but, you know, whatever that is, it's like there's the essence of Daniel. Hopefully it's not like, you know, me being weird or something. <laughs> But say, say you have a, a little three-year-old, right, who's just at the crazy three, I don't know what three, but whatever goes with three, right? but they're like going crazy, and you're like, you know, there's so-and-so, and I was like, well, because he's probably like freaking out, right? <laughs> when you say there's God in all his glory, it's, it's there's God in his holiness. In Isaiah 6, as you have, and this was mentioned in the song, Crown with Many Crowns, there's God in the throne above every power and authority pure and righteous. There's God in his glory. And the Holy Spirit is leading us in that way, that we can be people who experience the presence of that holy God. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you experiencing the presence of God? Is it impacting your life? So you are loving, you are patient, you are kind, you are gentle. And the last one is is simply this, join the mission of God. Join the mission of God. There's a shirt I bought two weeks ago, my first uh, Seahawks shirt. It doesn't say Seahawks on it, but you can tell it's a Seahawks shirt. And it says, why not us? And that's, right, that's what Russell Wilson's dad told him, why not you, why can't you win the Super Bowl? And, and what I, I love about it is, is it says, why not us, and then it has Russell Wilson's signature, but in his signature it has Matthew 6.33. Um, and Matthew 6.33 says this, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And, and if, you, if you listen to any interviews with Russell Wilson before the Super Bowl, you can tell that he wasn't man that everything was riding on the Super Bowl. It wasn't like, if I seek first the kingdom, then I win the Super Bowl. He goes, if I seek first the kingdom, if I lose the Super Bowl, that doesn't crush my identity. My identity is in Jesus. That makes me a winner whether or not I win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Everything's not riding on that. And so, so why I bring that up is, is why not us as a church? Why can't we be a church that, that wholeheartedly <coughs> follows the leading of the Spirit, Right, is, is caught in the purpose to be witnesses of him right, and goes. Why can't we be that church? And we will only be that church if we join the mission of God. And, and I think it is, it is in that verse of Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we as a church seek him first, seek him day to day first, when you, when you wake up, give your day to Jesus when you're going to bed. And remember, we challenge you along the way. Pray for 10 minutes before you go to bed. That will be, those will be transformative things as we seek him first and his righteousness. I believe all these things will be added to us. Last week when we talked about gifts, there's the encouragement throughout the Bible, seek greater gifts, right? We can seek and we saw, we saw six baptisms last year. Yeah, we want to see 50 this year. We're seeking greater things, right? <laughs> what would that look like? We have four community groups right now who, who gather around the gospel. And we want to know what it's like to live life together. We want to be on the mission of God together. Give us 10 by the end of the year. 
Because we seek your kingdom, and we know by your word that you are moving our church in one direction if we follow your spirit, and that is the building of your kingdom. Because in the building of his kingdom, there is freedom and there is peace, and that's what we want for all people. Amen? Amen. God, this, this is good. The word is good and it's life and it's true. It's not easy. We, and if we decide to seek you wholeheartedly, it means something in our lives. It means that some things are going to have to go and some things are going to have to start. But if we do this, promises that we can walk in your spirit. We will be a loving, gentle, patient people that are being transformed into your image. God, I pray for this. I pray for our church. And may it be in Jesus' name.